Today on The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. We, we please God by not doing this. And we please God by doing this. That's old covenant talk. The new covenant is not written on stone. It's written on your heart and my heart. And when Christ comes in your life and my life, he makes us brand new inside out. And therefore, we don't do certain things, and we do certain things, not by some legalistic regimen, but because that's who we are. We are a new person. The truth is, authentic faith means more than church attendance. Welcome to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Today, Dr. Young begins a sermon that explores what it means to have a real, radical, and authentic faith. So stay where you are. The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young is coming up right now. Dr. Ed Young with today's message, Real, Radical, and Authentic. Thank you for being here. We're talking about maturity. Talking about going strong in Christ. Let's begin with a fundamental truth. The Christian life begins with an encounter with Jesus. Who Jesus is. What Jesus did, what Jesus is now doing, and what Jesus is doing for you and for me now. We get that down and we understand we have been saved, salvaged, born again, regenerated. We become men and women in Christ, the Apostle Paul would say. We have a whole new outlook. We are absolutely new creations. We are, have a fresh beginning. And all the words we use for someone who has a personal relationship with Christ. Being a Christian is not believing a set of doctrine. It is a personal relationship with God in Jesus Christ. Nothing more, nothing less. We know it from John 3, 16. We all know that verse. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, anybody who believes in him will not perish, but will have life forever. Whoever believes in him, believeth in him, the KJV version says. Whoever believes, whoever puts their full weight down up in, understand who he is and what he's done and how you and I are involved in that when we confess sin, repent of sin, receive forgiveness, and invite Jesus Christ to take over our lives. Christianity. Conversion, that's the word. Latin root, con, meaning with, vertair, meaning to turn, we turn with Christ. We turn to Christ. We are converted, brand new, totally different. Going in one direction, now going in the opposite direction. Conversion. Now, we were converted in so many ways. 
One way is what I call gentle conversion. You came up in a Christian home. It was just natural to you to understand who Jesus is, what Jesus did. You naturally became a Christian. You came up in that kind of atmosphere of home and church. That is a gentle conversion. You may not can name the, the time, the place, the date when you received Christ, but you know it's real to you. You were converted in a gentle kind of way. Timothy would be an illustration of that in the Bible, would he not? Paul says, man, your grandmother and your mother walked in faith, and Timothy, you're a part of that tradition. You have come to faith in Christ. That is a gentle conversion. And then there is a dramatic conversion. The apostle Paul on the road to persecution, on the road to Damascus, and zap, he was knocked off his horse by a light, by a flash. He was blind, but he saw the resurrected Lord, and he was dramatically converted, dramatically converted. And we see this was true of a lot of people that we know about. C.S. Lewis, when he came to Christ as a scholar, he said, I was surprised by joy. I became the most reluctant Christian in the British Empire. It was a dramatic conversion for Lewis. And then there is the third category. That's the painful conversion. It's like the prodigal son. Can't you see him leaving home with that bombastic, youthful approach? Give me all the inheritance. I want to live my own life. I'll show you how to make money. I'll show you how to have pleasure. And he went out and not such a long period of time, he ran out of stuff, ended up in a pig pen and had to turn around and slop his way home with the stench of the pigs, skin and bones, lost everything. And he went to his father and said, I'm not even worthy to be a son. No way. I just want to be the lowest form of servant that you have. Boy, that's a painful conversion, isn't it? Eat a lot of crow, retrace some prideful steps. But however, you and I came to Christ under those categories, gentle or dramatic or painful, there is conversion. But what happens to far too many people who walk an aisle, baptize, come in the life of the church, so many of them just disappear. What happens? They just move away, sometimes rapidly, sometimes gradually. Before you know, we can almost see them, and then they're out of sight. And then, as far as we know, they're absorbed in their ionosphere. And when something happens, a mom or dad or brother or sister said, do you think Billy was saved? I don't know. Don't ask me that. I don't know. God only knows. Was it real? I don't know. Well, he was baptized. Was that enough? I don't know. He once said he loved Jesus. What? Is, he, is he in heaven? I don't know. And that happens. Others come to Christ and we charge back to God in Christ and praying and going to church and then we run into the beauty of sinful, secular living, and we 
back up and go back the other direction for a while, but we're convicted and convinced. And we charge back into the church again, and whoa, we run into the pleasures of life and new friends, and we go back in the other direction again. So it's charge, retreat, charge, retreat. Some fall in that category. Others, they don't charge and retreat. They stick around, you know, and they know the religious stuff. They've learned a few of the old hymns. They know the words to how great thou art. Oh, yeah. And amazing grace. They sing it. Amazing. And they know a little Bible, and they've got some uh, biblical terminologies that they can use, and they know the language, and they play the game. But the reality, the reality and the genuineness of knowing Jesus personally somehow is not there. It's not real. And then there are others who receive Christ, come to life at church, and it doesn't mean that, boy, my growth is getting just like this zoop. I've just gone, and I'm still going higher and higher and higher. No, 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 no. There, there's a little chart there. We're up and we're down. But there is a trajectory there that truly now we can sing more and more every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. And we begin to experience a little bit of that. Now, anybody who would stand up and say, well, you know, I'm a mature Christian. Be careful with that. Maybe you like the pastor. 20th anniversary, the church gave him a gold chain with a big medal on it that said, our beloved pastor, the humblest man in the world. <laughs> and he wore it everywhere he went. Little boy, Billy, came home from trying out for the school play. Went home and says, Mother, I got a part in the play. She said, what are you going to play? It said, well, the director told me to sit in the stands and cheer and applaud for everybody. <laughs> are you able to do that? Well, I used to teach the Bible study class. I used to direct, and now I, hey, we need to sit in the stands and cheer and applaud sometime. We don't have to be up front. Humility. Christian growth. It, it's subtle, but it's required. But some of us, we come into the life of faith and we sort of stay right there. It's like the story of the guy who fell out of bed and they asked him why he fell out of bed. He said, I went to sleep too close to where I got in bed. <laughs> and that's where we come to Christ. We go to sleep with complacency and stagnation. Right where we came to Christ, we stay right there and we stay immature. We, we don't grow. We don't develop. 1936. A new king of England. King Edward VIII, he ruled for only one year that he abdicated the throne. Edward didn't want the task. Adolf Hitler was stirring in Europe. He saw war was on, certainly imminent. 
and he was a playboy. He loved women. He loved expensive wine. He loved cigars. He loved travel. He loved partying all the time. Let's have a good time. Let's have a good time. He didn't want the position of having to be king and emperor as it was in that day to be a player in the largest empire on the earth. So he abdicated the throne. And he began to associate with a married woman. This is Wallace Simpson. And their relationship was infamous as they traveled the world seeking more and more pleasure. He became a carnal person. At the same time, he still had the title. He was the son of the king. At the same time, he still had the palace he lived in. At the same time, he still had a large allowance to live on. He had all the trappings but he had none of the responsibility and none of the sense of call and none of the sense of leadership that he was destined to assume. Carnal, he stayed right there. He didn't grow. He didn't develop. Does that describe, are there any Edwards here? Are there any Edwards running around this place? Paul said, having the form of godliness, but denying the power of it. Form without reality. Christian without that personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're called to grow. We're called to develop. In this call, I want to present you with two things. First of all, a little bit of theology, okay? And then a whole hunk of practicality. First, there's a little bit of theology. In other words, if we're going to grow, there are some things we have to understand about the Christian life, the Christian faith. And a little bit of theology, you're going to find there following our scripture about immaturity, 1 Corinthians 3, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men and women, but as men and women of flesh, as to infants in Christ. Is that you? I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even you are not now yet to be fed, to be nourished, for you are still fleshly, for since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly and are you not walking like mere men? That was a problem with Edward. He was fleshly. He didn't want the responsibility. They called and he stayed all of his life. He lived the life of a playboy, of a child. Never assumed any responsibility. Never felt any accountability. Never had a sense of morality. But we need a bit of theology here. I think you can get it in 2 Corinthians, chapter number 3. Listen, verse number 7. But if the ministry of death in letter is letters engraved on stones came from glory so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because the glory of his face fading as it was. Then flip her over, if you would, the same third chapter of 2 Corinthians. By the way, 
2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12 through 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 13 is a way you can see whether someone is real or phony, someone who is genuine or someone who is artificial in their faith. That's the theology. You, you can just read that and say, you know, this is where I fit in. I'm fleshly. No, this is where I fit in. I am spiritually. You see that there, and it's talked about here in forms of the old covenant and the new covenant. This is the old covenant, which is the face of Moses. But to this day, wherever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. For whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed, there's our word, into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. Then look over in chapter 4, we see the new covenant. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. See, we have the face of Moses, Old Covenant, the face of Jesus, the New Covenant. For we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. What are we saying here? A little bit of theology? Some people are still under the Old Covenant. What was the Old Covenant? Moses went up on Mount Sinai seven times, and he came down seven times. Read in Exodus. And finally, he came down with the Ten Commandments, those two stones. And there were the principles of living. This is what you do, and this is what you do not do. And therefore, when Moses came down with the commandments, with that old covenant, as we call it, the Bible says his face shone. Shekinah, glory. He'd been in the presence of God, his face shone. And the sinning Israelites who'd made that golden calf, they, they couldn't look on the glory of God shining in the face of Moses. So they said, Moses, put on a veil. So he veiled his face. Now, also, you read a little farther, you see that Time went by, and the glory, the Shekinah of God faded on the face of Moses until his face no longer shone, but Moses still put on the veil where everybody would think he still had the glory on him. Oh, yeah. yeah, you ever do something like that? Oh, I, I'm, still, I'm still walking with God. You can see the Shekinah in my life. But we really have veil face. Veil face. That's the old covenant. We, we please God by not doing this, and we please God by doing this. That's old covenant talk. And we're like Moses. We look at the face of Moses. Boy, when he's with it, there's a glow. When he's not with it, we cover it up. And a lot of churches really go by the name of Christian, but they're basically living and teaching on the basis of the old covenant. Do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. And they got a whole string of legalistic stuff. And when you don't do and do do enough, you'll be a Christian. Old covenant. Then there's a new covenant. That's the face of Jesus. 
The new covenant is not written on stone. It's written on your heart and my heart. And when Christ comes in your life and my life, he makes us brand new inside out. And therefore, we don't do certain things and we do certain things, not by some legalistic regimen, but because that's who we are. We are a new person. We have a new agenda. We have a new heart. And the principles are written in our heart. And therefore, you begin to see some of those things we talked about in character. Remember, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-discipline. Remember that? You see, that just flows out. We don't have to, hmm, I'm going to produce some fruit. I've got to work at this. No, no, no. Because we're under the new covenant. We have the form, now we have the power. So the new covenant, it is the face of Christ is reflected in us. And before you know it, we begin to have some kind of glow. I can look at most people in just a second. I can almost sense, not by their words that they're with Christ. You can just sort of, it, it, it's an affirmation of spirit, is it not? My dad's younger brother died, lived way back in the backside of Alabama, a little community called Cragford, Alabama. My dad really had no relationship with his family. And when his younger brother died, he was unable to go to the funeral. And I just decided to go. No one knew I went as far as I knew except Joe Beth and my family. And I got in a car. I drove way back in the backside of Alabama. And I didn't know a single person in my dad's family. He was one of 11. So you can imagine a whole clan gathered there. All the young family, all of them gathered. But they didn't know me. I didn't know them. They didn't know I was coming. And I just drove up in front of that rural home, and I walked up those steps. The first person I saw looked at me and says, you're Homer's boy. That's my dad's name. And everywhere I went, they, oh, I know you. You must be Homer's bar. How did they know? How could they tell? I didn't understand it. But something about me reminded them of my father, my dad. You're Homer's boy. That's what happens to us in the new covenant. As we begin to walk and grow with him, we realize that's the son of the king. That's the son of the king. And that's what happened in the scripture. Because now, in England, what happened? The second, the second in command. They always have a spare in royalty. You know, one of a backup? Oh, well, that's who George was. And when Edward abdicated the throne, there was George who came. Came George VI. He was Prince Albert. George VI. He'd been in the Navy. He had a speech impediment. Limited, but he stood and he represented England and he was the one who declared war on Germany in 1939. And he supplied Churchill with sort of the overall backing of the empire at a strategic moment in history, which he said, might does not make right. And that was the basis upon which they continued to declare war and throw back the Nazis. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, might does not make right today. And if we don't realize that internationally, we are going to pay for it in ways that would shatter our wildest imagination. Amen. 
But there was the new king. He had the title, and he followed the responsibility that was placed upon him in a strategic time in history. So we look here and we understand the old covenant, the new covenant. Let's break this down. Uh, a glow worm glows, and it it's a, puts out a little light that comes from within, and that light is there to protect the glowworm from predators, from enemies. That's why the light is there. It, it's a light, and there's a poison that accompanies it, and it keeps the enemies away from the glowworm. But that glowworm, you may not know it, becomes a firefly. We call them, what, lightning bugs, right? And that firefly came the glowworm, also has a illumination within, but that illumination is not to protect, that illumination is to attract. Attract other fireflies for mating. Attract other, other things, other insects that they would eat to stay alive. And the longer the firefly lives, the bigger it gets and the brighter the light comes. The old covenant is, excuse the analogy, a glowworm that is there for protection. Don't do these things. Do these things. It has a glow light. But now when the new covenant comes in Jesus Christ, now it's not the face of Moses that is veiled. Now it's the face of Jesus that is unveiled, and there is a light there that attracts and gets brighter and brighter. The old, the new. Or put it another way. You buy an automobile. Most got everything on it. Oh, beautiful car. My goodness, just a, just a fabulous car that you bought. And so you get through, you pay for it, and you push it out of the showroom, out in the street, and you push the car all the way home. And you push, and you push, and you push, and boy, little hill, it's really hard to get it up, but you get it up. Finally, you get there, you call your wife out, your kids, look at our car, boy, they love it. Get in, we're going for a ride. And you get in, and you start pushing. Your wife is driving. Whew. You stop and let her get out and help and let one of the kids, I mean, but we love our new car. And then some people have the idea of living the Christian life is like that, you know? You go to churches like that. Man, how do you get through life? Well, I'm under the old covenant. They don't tell you that. But that's what well, you got to try harder, work more, and come on Monday night to church, and we're going to teach you how to push your life with your left shoulder. We're going to give you a left. Okay, we work. Okay, I've got it. I'm pushing. And Tuesday night you go, you push the car with your right shoulder. Okay, we're pushing with our... And then Wednesday night they teach you how to push it with both hands and your shoulder. Boy, it gets easier. You're getting stronger. You're figuring this thing out. And Thursday night they say, look, put your legs and your feet in it. You can really push that car. That's the old covenant. Try harder, do more, give more, work harder. That's the way you really grow as a Christian. You push and push. And on Friday night, they say, put it all together, and you're going to have a super life, a super car. You'll all be pushing. Lots of, a lot of churches think, folks. You know it. But that's old covenant. That's Moses. 
with a veiled face. The new covenant, we unveil our face. We can look into the glory of God and receive the reflection of that glory in a mirror, Paul tells us. And we go back and the dealer says, look under the hood what you've got there, that piece of steel, that piece of iron there with all the gadgets to it. That's called a motor. And that's Christ in you and Christ in me. Then he says, look back here. You put gasoline in it. Oh, and how easy it is to move and flow. And that gasoline is the Holy Spirit. When I got up this morning, I said, fill me with thy spirit. I can't do it. I surrender to the leadership of the spirit. That is the power that gives. That's new covenant living, ladies and gentlemen. And that's a new kind of light. The old covenant, it's dark. Moses came and lit a candle. Well, a candle is good in the darkness, isn't it? That was the old covenant. It, it has some merit. It diagnoses our sin. But now in the New Testament, when Jesus Christ came, the sun came up. What are you going to do with a candle when the sun is shining brightly? Would you tell me? You don't need a candle anymore. That's the new covenant. That's grace. That's faith in Jesus Christ. So a little bit of theology. Then a whole lot of practicality. How does this growing in Christ, how do we become real instead of being artificial? Well, what is it all about? How does it function? How does it operate? First of all, we see something about a, a growing Christian, a maturing Christian. A, a, a maturing Christian does not happen automatically. Doesn't just pop up. I'm a maturing Christian. Doesn't happen that way. People think it does. It doesn't. It takes effort. A maturing Christian doesn't just, somebody says, well, I'm just going to try harder. But it does take effort to become a maturing Christian. And to be a mature Christian is certainly not impossible. It's not impossible. A maturing Christian does take effort. It does take effort. And let me show you the kind of effort that it takes. Look, if you would, in the book of Colossians, just move over. It's not Galatians that somebody, a kid. It's Colossians, chapter number three. Look what it says. It says, therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead, the immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, which amounts to idolatry. In other words, if we're going to grow up, we have to put some things to death. What do you have to put to death? Anything here fits you? Immorality, you got to put that to death. Need to kill that. God will help you kill it. Impurity, put that to death. Passion, put that to death. Evil desire, put that to death. Greed, put that to death. There's some things we have to put to death if we're going to mature in Christ. Make no mistake about it. And there's some things we have to put aside. In other words, we put it out of reach. And in them you also once walked, and you were living in them, but now you also put them all aside. What are these things we put out of our reach? Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. 
so that you were laid aside, the old self with its practice, and you have to put on a new self to a true knowledge according to the image of one who created him. So some things, if you're going to grow, you have to kill. Some things you have to put aside. And some things you have to put on. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. This is how we grow up, ladies and gentlemen. So growth is not automatic. No, no, no. But growth has to take place. In God's understanding, if you are a Christian, by definition, you have to grow up. I love the story of Alexander the Great was at battle. Boy, the fighting, fighting was ferocious, and he sees one of his shoulders, shoulders, soldiers running and running the opposite direction. Alexander rides him down, slaps him down with his sword. The young soldier falls down. He says, young man, what's your name? He said, Alexander. He said, change your name or change your direction. You can't have my name and be a coward. What's your name? I'm a Christian. He said, God would say, change your name or change your direction. Change your name or change your direction. That is reality of who we are. That's identifying with who we are. So we have to realize this doesn't happen just automatically. It happens with intentionality when we grow up. We have to kill and put on and put off. And also we have to understand that being mature is something that you and I can do. We can do it. It's not impossible. It can happen. But we have to make a decision that I'm tired of pablum, I'm tired of pacifiers, I'm tired of what I am and what I represent, and I want to move on to some steak and nourishing stuff, and I want to grow up in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a decision. It's a decision. And I hope there are a lot of people here who will make that very decision today. You've been listening to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. As we finish out today's program, Dr. Young is in the studio to answer a couple of questions stemming from today's message. Dr. Young, let me ask you, suppose we have a friend who has a shallow faith. Is there anything we can do to encourage them to grow in maturity? Well, if they're shallow in their faith, they need to go to a Bible-believing church. And where the Bible is taught, where the Bible is proclaimed, uh, people that hang around that kind of truth, they'll begin to see their life isn't working the right way that it is. And also, you might pray with them. Say, let us pray together. In the prayer, just ask God to forgive you when you've been lax, when you've been indifferent. Forgive you for hypocrisies in your own life. And maybe they'll begin to say, you know, that's a prayer I need to pray. There's some changes I need to make. So first of all, may they see in you the genuineness of Christ, not that you're perfect. And then may you encourage them to be in a Bible-teaching church, not just go to church. It has to be a church where the, what God's Word is believed and God's Word is taught. That's where the fire is. That's where the evangelism is. And that's where the social ministry is. So I think let them understand through your life and your witness as you take, as you invite, as you pray for them. I'll tell you, 
Most of those that walk this path, they too catch fire for Christ. That is really helpful. Thank you, Dr. Young. You've been listening to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Winning Walk is a listener-supported ministry. Your prayers and financial support allow us to bring proven truth to listeners around the world. Connect with us at winningwalk.org. That's winningwalk.org.